0: All right, I think one of the really remarkable things about being a follower of Christ is just think about who God is, how huge he is, that like everything we see this world around us, he holds together by his infinite power. He he spoke these things into being. He's an infinitely great, infinitely glorious God. Yet the message of the gospel is that you can be his son. You can be his child. You can be adopted into the family of God. What a remarkable thing that is. You know, yesterday at work, we, uh, so in like the corporate world now, you have to go to like a lot of diversity discussions and diversity talks. And so yesterday, the one I had to go to, um, was religion in the workplace, religion in the workplace. And to me, um, it it really wasn't something that I was going to get into in a big group of people, right? Like you think of, we'll talk about tonight, uh, where Jesus tells the disciples, the apostles, as they go out to be wise, in their interactions, to be wise in their ministry. Jesus says, don't toss your pearl before swine, right? Like to me, this big group dynamic wasn't something that I was just going to jump in to get an argument with. But one thing I did say, so the, the topic came up, why is this such a divisive issue? Like why is religion sometimes at the very top of the list at what makes people hostile? At that point, I did jump in. I was like, well, we're talking about God. Like even in politics, you, if Joe Biden or Donald Trump says something, you can say, well, you're a person, right? Like Joe Biden, Donald Trump, they're people, and I disagree with them. But if God is real, can you disagree with God? No, what he says is ultimate. What he says is the final standard, and that's why God is far more divisive than anything else. And then I quit talking at that point. But that was my point. That's why religion is such a powerful thing, because we are talking about God. But the remarkable thing about our God is he makes a way for us to be reconciled to him in his kingdom. The Bible is the history of God's redemptive plan. God allows us to be part of that. God, Jesus Christ is building his kingdom. Don't make any mistake about that. But he allows us to be part of his work. Think about how amazing that is. The eternal kingdom of God. We get to play a part in that. That's what Matthew 10 is very much about. We're looking at Matthew 10. It is very much about the role that we get to play in the building of God's kingdom. Of course, he's talking to his apostles here. Remember the setting. Jesus has called his 12 apostles to him, and he's getting ready to send them out. In verses 1 through 4, he calls this group together. And if you think back, remember, it was a really eclectic, diverse group. Um, Jesus showing that he didn't rely on the rich and powerful of the world for his mission. But when he chose his 12, he cho- chose 12 very unlikely men. But he caused together this diverse group. And in verses 5 to 15, Alejandro taught us last week how Jesus gives them instructions on where they're to go, how they're to minister, what they're to say, what they're to do. They're to go to the people of Israel. They're to proclaim the kingdom, the gospel of repentance, that repent from your sins and turn to God because the kingdom of God is at hand. And he gave them the power of miracles for the purpose of validating their message, of validating that they are messengers from God. Jesus also tells them If you'll remember in verses 11 to 15 that some people will accept their message wherever the gospel is proclaimed. Some people do accept it because it's the power of God at work. It's the power of God that calls people into the kingdom, that makes the message of the gospel effective. So wherever the gospel is proclaimed, some people will respond in obedience But as Jesus taught them last week, some people will reject the gospel. Tonight, we're going to look at verses 16 to 23. And the theme of this, this is where Jesus is going to really focus in on the rejection of the gospel. The theme of verses 16 to 23, kingdom ministry will be opposed by this world, yet victorious. Kingdom ministry will be opposed by this world, yet victorious. We're going to break it down into three different sections. We'll read it all at once, but within this we're going to look at three different sections. Uh, Part one we'll talk about is the world's opposition, and what we're going to see is that this opposition to the gospel comes from all levels of the world. All places. It comes from places where you would absolutely expect it. And then it comes from places where you would absolutely not expect it. The second thing we'll talk about in light of the world's opposition, the second thing we'll talk about is the attitude of believers. The attitude that believers are to have despite or even in light of the world's opposition. And then when we end, we'll end with our third part, the ultimate victory that despite the opposition of the world, the gospel will be victorious because the power behind the gospel is not the people proclaiming it. It's not you. It's not me. It's not the church. The power behind the gospel is God himself, the Holy Spirit who causes dead sinners to be brought to life, who makes the gospel active in the lives of people. So let's read these verses here. Verses 16 to 23. Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Again, the three things I want to draw out of these verses are the opposition, the attitude we're to have, and the ultimate victory. So we'll start with the world's opposition. And Jesus just makes a blanket statement in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. It's a pretty sobering statement and a pretty sobering picture. What do wolves do to sheep? Eat them. Eat them. Tear them up. Rip them apart. Rip them apart. Are sheep good at defending themselves? No. What? Do, my my kids are always reading these books like who would win. It's like these books where like it pits two animals up against each other and like who would win between the animals. There, there's not an addition of sheep and wolves because it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. It wouldn't be a very interesting story, right? Um, we, as Christians, we live as sheep in the midst of wolves. We live in a world that is hostile to the gospel and hostile to the followers of Christ. Because what does the gospel? You got to take a step back. Think about the nature of human beings. By nature, human beings are sinful. By nature, human beings are enemies of God. And they love sin. We are, by nature, addicted to our sin. And we love our sin. Yet, what does the gospel tell us about our sin? to hate it, to, to, to get rid of it. It tells us that that sin as humans that we love and want to cling to is damning and separating us from God. It, it, it's a, it's an offense to a world and to people who love sin. And so when you are a proclaimer of the gospel, you are proclaiming a message that is very offensive to somebody who is not willing to repent. To somebody, uh, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your own life. You have to lose your life. You have to take up your cross and follow me. For people who love their life and love the things of this world and love their sin, it's a devastatingly offensive message and so they don't only hate the message they hate the messenger how often do you see just in anything where you you hear that saying right like hey don't kill the messenger like people don't like the one who brings them um news that they don't want to hear that is the reaction of the world to the gospel Jesus tells us a few of the different areas of opposition to the gospel. In verse 17, he says, the courts. So you could, the courts, the governors and kings, you could think of this as like the political system and the laws. Do you see a hatred just in our world around us? Do you see a hatred for the things of God? and the truths of God in our political system. You don't have to look real hard. It's everywhere. It's everywhere um, where the truth of Jesus Christ is viewed with scorn, is viewed as offensive. Laws, courts, are there laws against Christianity? Yeah, in many parts of the world, there absolutely are. And even in the United States, it's starting to get debatable <laughs> and it could change very easily. Right. But there's definitely parts of the world where Christianity will get you killed or will get you thrown in jail, will get your family killed or your family thrown in jail. And so while we in the United States don't feel necessarily a lot of persecution from the courts and From a legal standpoint at this time in history, there's plenty of times in history where that has been the case, plenty of places in the world where it's still the case, and there's always the opportunity that it comes to that here in our own country. But I don't know that courts, governors, and kings, as he says in verse 18, does that really surprise you when Jesus says, hey, watch out, there's going to be hostility from the political authorities around you. Does that really surprise you? Not really, right? It's kind of always been that way. Like, after all, who crucified Christ? Christ was crucified by Roman soldiers, by the Roman government, at the direction of the Jews. But um, it's been pretty common throughout history that courts, governors, and kings have been against... Christianity have been against God, but synagogues, verse 17, the religious institutions opposed Jesus Christ. And that's interesting because the synagogue, think of it as kind of the worship center, the center of worship for the Jewish people. Who was the Messiah sent to save? Jews and Greeks, but he was they, the Romans One I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes for the Jews first and also the Greeks, but the Jews were God's chosen people. Yet it's the synagogue that becomes one of the centerpieces of persecution of the very Messiah that was sent to save God's people. And what's interesting is that hostile opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ, does that occur in places that call themselves churches? Amazingly, it does. You would think the one place where Christians would not be persecuted, where the gospel would not be rebelled against, would be in churches, right? Yet, it's amazing how many churches are hostile to the true message of the gospel. And it usually comes in two separate forms. You have one side that is based on legalism. You have churches that are based on, you have to earn your salvation. You have to earn your way of heaven. You have to be a part of our church. You have to follow these rituals Follow these steps, and that's how you get into heaven. Which, that's not the gospel. The gospel is very clear that we cannot be saved, we cannot be justified by works, and that the only hope we have of salvation is to cast ourselves 100% upon the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. So, when you preach the true gospel up against the legalistic system of religion, even when it calls itself a church you find hostility. Look at the reformers. Look at how many of them died for the true gospel. Look at how many of them were burned at the stake for the true gospel or thrown in prison for the true gospel. That's what the reformation was all about. Hostility towards the gospel ironically coming from places that called themselves churches. So it's typically one side, the legalism side, or, the other area of church where you would find hostility to the gospel, the other side, which is just antinomianism, or there there is no rules, just complete liberal Christianity, where sin is not something that you need to worry about. Um, so it, it, that again, I go back to the meeting I was in yesterday. the The guy who kicked off the meeting said, "I don't want." I, I'm that he said he was gay, and he said I don't want any religion in workplace because it goes against who I am as a gay person. And instantly, like four or five people speak up, like, "Oh no, no, my church we have we have uh, homosexual pastors, we have gay pastors. We're we're perfectly okay with it." And it's like that's the other side where they hate the gospel that says that we are sinners and the Bible lays out for us what sin is and we are to repent of that in faith in Jesus Christ. So, it, when Jesus throws the synagogue out there as a area, a source of persecution, it initially might strike you as odd, but we see it in the churches as well. You wouldn't expect persecution against the gospel, wolves against the gospel in the churches. But in fact, that's exactly what Paul warned the Ephesian elders. And it's like Acts, I'm sorry, I didn't write it down. Acts 20-ish, I think. Acts 21, 22. He's on his way to Jerusalem and he stops to talk to the uh elders uh, of Ephesus and he says watch out for wolves who will come into the flock but it gets more surprising Uh, so courts uh, you kind of as, as we go on here you get a little bit more surprising in where these sources of persecution come from courts governors and kings the synagogue but verse 21 family brother will betray brother to death and a father, his child and children children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Because God is such an ultimate thing, it causes hostility in ways that nothing else does. I mean, very few things in this world, are going to cause family to turn on each other the way the gospel does. Family is a source of persecution and Jesus just basically lays it all out in verse 22. You will be hated by all because of my name. He, he's telling us, look, if you're going to preach the gospel, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, He's telling you up front, look, the part of the cost is the world is going to hate you. The very thing that now defines your life is a follower of Christ. The world hates it. And it doesn't just hate Christ, but it hates those who would follow him as well. It's a sobering, sobering thing. But it's part of counting the cost of following Christ. That's why Christ tells us, look, to follow me, you've got to be willing to abandon everything. Uh, you, You think about the Be Thou My Vision song that we sang and how much of that is about being willing to abandon everything in this world for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. But as the Bible always does. The Bible, uh, I've said it many times, one of my favorite things about it is just how real it is about what life is like. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It, It always presents us with the reality of life, but it also tells us how to deal with the realities of life. It'd be one thing to just Jesus bring the bad news and that's it, right? But he does bring the tough news, but he gives us the attitude that we should have as believers, the attitude we should have. The first thing he says in verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Be shrewd as serpents, that's weird kind of, right? Like when you hear that, because typically you think of being I mean, you instantly think of Satan right in the fall and back in Genesis 3 and his shrewdness in deceiving Eve. But what Jesus is saying here, it's just like when he says, don't throw your pearls before swine. He's saying be wise, be wise about how you interact with this world. Don't be foolish. Don't be one who just gets drawn into arguments. Is there any point and just trying to win an intellectual argument when it comes to God? No, it, your goal is not to get in to debate with people. We live in a world where people like to fight. They like to have debates. Do you ever get the impression that sometimes people are just disagreeing with each other simply because they like to fight and that's it? I mean, we live in a world where negativity sells. That's like what, social media is totally built on. How angry can we get people about issues in this world? Because the more angry we can get people about issues in this world, the more money they make. That's what not just social media, but television's all about. Whether it's CNN or Fox, it's like, Hey, let's see how passionate we can get people about division because that's where the money's at. Controversy, right? Arguing, debating, that is not what gospel ministry is about. Jesus calls us to be wise. Uh, Jesus calls us when he says, don't cast your pearls before swine. What he's saying is, if somebody's luring you into a debate just to argue, just to fight, then even if that's on God or the gospel, don't fall into that trap. I kind of tried to live this out yesterday when I was in that meeting. Would there be, I, I couldn't foresee a situation where there would really be benefit to me, just like letting loose on this group of people when it comes to like religion in the workplace. I have plenty of talks about Jesus in the Bible and the gospel at work. I'll talk about it as much as people want to talk about it. But I try to be wise in those interactions to to make sure that I choose my battles wisely. I don't get lured into every fight. Kind of like Jesus says here in verse 17, beware of men. But then he follows it up, be shrewd as serpents, yet be innocent as doves. Be innocent as doves, be gentle, be peaceable. Don't give people outside, if people hate you for the gospel, just like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if people hate you for the gospel, that is 100% fine. That is okay. You don't worry about that. Great is your reward in heaven, right? But don't give people a reason outside of the gospel. To hate you like if you're just a mean, cranky person and people don't like you because you're a mean, cranky person, there's no reward for that in heaven, like, there's no reward for saltiness and crankiness in heaven, okay. And does that in any way help your actual gospel ministry? No, if you're known in the workplace, at school, in your teams, whatever, if you're known. Is the person who is, who is loving, kind, and peaceful. That's where those relationships. When you invest in people and and show people that you care about them, those relationships. That's what opens up the door to sharing the gospel. That's what opens up the door to um, effective ministry. Be shrewd as serpents. Be innocent is doves be wise but be kind and gentle so those are the first two attitudes or i should say instructions perhaps that jesus gives to us in light of the the hostility the third thing he tells us here is rely on the holy spirit rely on the holy spirit the the gospel the power of the gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, and it's the Holy Spirit who activates that power in the life of a person. It's not how articulate you are. It's not, do you ever get nervous about sharing the gospel, like, oh, maybe I don't know enough, or maybe somebody's going to ask me a question that I won't know the answer to? Or sometimes that's a fear that people have, like, I don't know if I could share the gospel because I just don't know that much. And, um, they might have questions that I don't have the answers to. Well, you know what? You've got the whole focus wrong. Rely on the Holy spirit. He says, when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to say for it will be given you in that hour. What you are to say. What he's saying there is the Holy Spirit works through you, speaks through you. You know what you're called to do? Be faithful. You're called to be faithful. You're called to be obedient. You're not called necessarily to be the world's greatest preacher. Maybe one of you is. I don't know. But you're not called necessarily to be some sophisticated theologian. You're called to be faithful. And to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to speak through you. Now, that doesn't mean that you should be presumptuous and say, you know, I don't need to learn anything. I don't need to know anything because Jesus said just, I don't know, open my mouth and magically the words of the Holy Spirit. come out. I don't know. That's not what Jesus is saying. You should always be learning to grow and always learning more and, and uh, just growing in your ability to understand the things of God and communicate those things of God to other people. But what Jesus is saying here is that will never be the source of power. The source of power is always in. The fourth instruction that Jesus gives here when it comes to uh, um, our our how we should approach this world of hostility. Be wise, be shrewd as serpents, be gentle, uh, innocent as doves, um, rely on the Holy Spirit, and persevere. The last one here, persevere. He says, you'll be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Now, do we endure to the end in our own power? No, no. Hopefully you've caught a theme here. Anytime it comes to power, it's always God, right? Whenever it comes to giving credit, praise, or glory, it's always God. The Holy Spirit is the one who saves you And the Holy Spirit is also the one who seals you and perseveres you to the end. Again, all of this is done in full reliance on the Holy Spirit. But persevere. There's going to be trial. To me, it helps going into this that Jesus has already told me it's going to happen. Because wouldn't it be tough if Jesus painted a rosy picture for you? and then you get into the real world and you hit opposition, you're like, what's this all about? Like, did, did God know this was gonna happen? Did Jesus know this was gonna happen? Did, did, did Jesus know it was gonna be this hard? Yeah, absolutely he did. He tells you right here. Like, he tells you, he doesn't even paint a soft picture. He paints a very hard picture. Wolves versus sheep. And you're on the losing end of the battle, (laughs) in in the animal sense, not in the ultimate sense. But it's uh, the the perseverance. To me, it helps that this is exactly how Jesus said it would be. In our last section here, the gospel gets ultimate victory. The world opposes the gospel. But the gospel gets ultimate victory. Now, if the power behind the gospel was man, I would have a lot of worry and a lot of doubts. Or if we built the church, if we built God's kingdom, I would have a lot of worry and a lot of doubts. But because it is the power of God, we have full confidence in ultimate victory. Because Jesus Christ builds the church, because it's his kingdom. We can have full confidence in ultimate victory. And, and, you know, there's really two areas that I would point out. I'd point out individually, personally. We kind of already saw that, right? He tells us to persevere and that in the end, you will be saved. When Jesus says, it reminds me of when Jesus says, don't fear those who can just simply destroy the body and that's it. Instead, Fear the one who can destroy body and soul. Uh, uh, the, the, The victory for the believer, ultimately, you will be saved. This world can kill you. This world has literally killed, I don't know the numbers, millions of Christians? No idea. A lot. A lot of Christians have literally been killed. Many more will be killed. Go read through Revelation. There are plenty of martyrs throughout the book of Revelation. Yet this world can do nothing more than kill you. Then you have eternal life. You will be saved. Do you realize that your ultimate victory in Christ is completely settled? If you are here tonight and you are in Christ, there is very literally nothing in existence, spiritual or physical, that can take away your victory. It is sealed. How remarkable is that, right? Um, Your greatest need is 100% sealed in Christ. We will have individual personal victory, but also corporate victory. The kingdom of God will prevail. This is really what he's saying in verse 23. It's a little bit of a challenging verse, but this is really what he's saying. He says, whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man Comes. There's a lot of debate on what exactly that means until the Son of Man comes. Um, some people say that it's talking about the second coming of Christ at the end at the end times. And I don't know like from a theological standpoint, if I have any problems with that, I just don't really know how to make sense of the rest of the verse if that's the case because I don't know. Um, what what I believe he is saying here, Until the Son of Man comes. So that's an allusion to Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel 7, let me just go read it real quick. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel's an amazing book because it covers, like, history past and history future. Like, it is an incredible prophetic book. looks very much to um, the church age, to the coming of Christ, and then even beyond. But... And Daniel 7, 13 and 14, Daniel has this vision of one who is God but looks like man, son of man, Jesus Christ, being given dominion by the Father. So Daniel 7, 13 and 14 says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, that's Jesus Christ, the Son of Man is Jesus Christ. That's where Jesus gets this title that he uses so often. And the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man is prevented, or presented before him and to the Son of Man was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So when when Jesus says, calls himself the son of man, that's what he's referring back to. And what I think this is here, when he says until the son of man comes, that's the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ, the end of Christ's earthly ministry, which, The ascension happens at the beginning of Acts, and that's really not too far into Acts, where the gospel ministry and the ministry of the apostles begins to spread to the rest of the world outside of simply the the region of Israel. So that's really what I think he's saying here. He's telling them, whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next, For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. I think what he's talking about there is until Jesus' ultimate victory on the cross, his resurrection and ascension, which at that point is the transition in the gospel ministry to outside of the nation of Israel. But regardless, the, the overall message here is very, very clear to us. In this passage. Jesus is speaking to his apostles specifically, but he's speaking to all of us as well. These truths remain just as much for us today as they were in place for the twelve. The world was hostile to Christ, was hostile to his apostles. What happened to most of these twelve? Killed most of them were killed. And and John, John lived to be really old in jail, you know? Like, none of them escape persecution. They all face the hostility of the world, but the world still hates Jesus Christ. And it's going as a follower of Christ, it's going to hate you. Sure, it'll be friendly with you at points but then they're going to discover something about what you believe or one day the gospel is going to come up and people who used to be friendly with you, who used to love you, who used to, used to like you, they'll find out, Oh, you believe that? Well, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. It's uh, it, but remember, they're not hating you. They're hating Jesus Christ. They're hating the gospel. Uh, the, the, the truths that Jesus teaches are just as applicable for us today. First of all, we're called to minister. The, this whole lesson presupposes that you are actually telling people about Jesus Christ. The, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 that we'll get to some, some time down the road, Jesus tells his disciples including us, to go into all the nations, teaching them to, command, to obey the commandments of God. The, this, the whole message of Jesus here is built on the idea that you are actually telling people about Christ. That's an important thing to ask yourself. When was the last time you talked about Jesus with somebody who wasn't a believer? When was the last time you talked about the things of God with somebody outside of church? Coworkers, friends, schoolmates, whatever it may be. Look for ways to invest in people and love people with the hope that at some point you can share the gospel with them. It it requires you to really care about people. It's tough. There's absolutely a place for sharing the gospel with strangers. Absolutely. I wouldn't discount that at all. Share the gospel with strangers. But I just know in my own life, and it could just be the way that God chooses to use me, it's typically relationships that I have built over time. Relationships that I've built over time where people know that I love them. They know that I care about them in that relationship gives me the opportunity to share Christ. But the bottom line is we should all be ministering. We should all be sharing the gospel and we should all be evaluating how often in our lives these conversations are coming up. And within that context, be wise. It's not about winning arguments. You don't have to get into hostile arguments. Like your goal is to not go enter into debates and um, try to argue people into the kingdom. Be wise about your interactions. They're going to set traps for you. Don't fall into traps. Think about how often they set traps for Jesus. Jesus never fell into them. You don't have to be as good as Jesus at not falling into traps, but um, you can't be. But, um, be wise in your interactions, yet be innocent as does. Be gentle. Be peaceable. Make sure that If somebody's going to hate you, it's because of the gospel. Don't give people other reasons to hate you, right? Um, If people are going to hate you, it's because of the gospel. But lastly, persevere. Keep going. Don't get discouraged. That's one of the reasons the church is so important, because it's an opportunity for us to come in from a hostile world and love on one another and encourage one another and build one another up. Church is an extremely important piece of this. And then also just perseverance, keeping the end in mind that this world can never do anything more than kill you. The world cannot touch your ultimate victory in Christ, it's guaranteed for you. But it's also guaranteed for the church for the kingdom at large let's pray lord we thank you for just the humbling reality that you uh call us to be part of your kingdom building project you call us to be part of your redemptive history and that's just a very humbling and just sobering thought and i just pray that As we go about that work, we would do it in accordance with your truth. We'd always be looking to do it faithfully in the way you've called us to do it, in full reliance and full trust on you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.